Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Resting Place Carrollwood. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. All right, well, good morning. Most of you, we know each other. Steve, welcome. We're glad to have you. You're, you're a guest in the house. Petey, the same as well. Uh, there you are. Sorry, I'm looking for you. I appreciate you coming up from Bradenton. That's, that's it. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming over here and, and leading. So um, let me put this to the side. I can't help but walk. That's just what I do. I pace and walk. But um, I'm, really, I'm really thankful to be here this morning. The word that I feel like the Lord has put on my heart is, is a word that I share as much as he'll let me. But it's one that can only be shared when there's the green light from the Holy Spirit. And um, so a couple weeks back when Joel asked me to, to, to close this out, I was like, Lord, can I do the word? And, and I felt that peace. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful uh, to be here and to be able to share that. So um, most of you know bits and pieces of my story, but basically, you know, I like saw a lot of hypocrisy growing up in church. It was super unattractive. But when I was 20, I was tired of, of, of doing the things I'd been doing. And I'm an I'm, I'm all-in or all-out kind of guy. I just, I don't like to do things half-heartedly. And so in the absence of knowing the Lord and having that intimate relationship with him, it's like I'm just not going to touch that until I know I can go all-in. And so... The deal I made with the Lord is that if he'd reveal himself to me, I want to know him like the men and the women in the Bible did. And so, long story short, I, I, I made a deal with God that I'd be sober for a month and that if he'd show up in a supernatural way that would let me know he was real, then I'd be his and I'd, I'd go with him to the ends of the earth, that my life was his. He could do what he want with, wanted with it. And, uh, and, and that's, what, that's exactly what happened. Two weeks later, he just ripped my world open in the best way possible. And so, so now that all-in nature within me is now thrust into a new environment. Because, you know, there's just all these, there's all these things in life that want you to go all-in. And most of them, I'm just going to be blunt, are BS. You know, I, 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 sales, if you've ever worked a sales job, they, they act like whatever their product is, is the best thing out there. And Lord forbid, there's something that actually could be better. They're like, nah, turn the blinders. Like, and, and it, it's always been hard for me in sales to get 100% behind something like that. Because I knew, like, oh, there's, there's other options out there. <laughs> but here's the good thing, is that we can be all in for the Lord. Because everything he has to say, everything that he is, is truth. He is truth truth. He is reality. He is life, right? And so that was super exciting. That was super exciting when I was able to give my all to something that I didn't have to be regretful in any way about. I didn't have to feel shame about. I didn't have to feel like I have to hide something about who the Lord is and what he's done in my life. So, um, you know, I have this radical encounter and I was living in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I didn't have a driver's license. I had to bike my way to Taco Bell every morning. I hated working at Taco Bell, but 
That's where I was, okay? And I began to just say, God, I, I want to know you in a deep way. And so he began to bit by bit reveal himself, little by little reveal himself. And, and what happened, uh, let me put a timer because Lord knows, y'all know I'll, I'll go forever. Um, what began to happen is, is bit by bit, he began to show me different facets of who he was. From the word, through encounters, right? You know, dreams. Um, um, when you're walking on the path that the Holy Spirit has marked out for you, what you'll find is that things God starts showing you when you start reading in the word, sometimes you're going to read something in the word that you're like, I don't know if I've ever experienced that. And it's actually an invitation to experience it. But other times you're experiencing this spirit-filled life and then you're reading in the Word and then you're actually finding that there were other people. You're like, wait, I, I know what that is. I've been, God, you, you were talking to me about that two weeks ago. Oh, okay, here it is in the Word. It's a two-way, it's a two-way door, right? And so, so um, uh, uh, you know, in this journey, I'm having this fun in Chattanooga for three months and then, and then I move home to Georgia. And I move home to Georgia to my parents' home for like eight or nine months. And it was just, a, there was a period of grace. And I know I say this like every time I, I preach, it seems like. But it was like eight or nine months that every morning I'd get up and read the Bible for an hour. And then I'd pray and worship for two hours. And I, look, I can't do that in, in, in my life today. But I could do it then. Okay. And there are just things that begin to unfold in that season that are still, the Lord is still unveiling these mysteries to me. He's still revealing things from that season in the secret place. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is a question that I begin to ask the Lord in that season. And I said, Father, I've experienced you as a father, son, Lord Jesus. I've experienced you as a brother, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting to experience you as Lord, right? You know, I'm seeing your warrior side. But see, there's this side that I don't know what to do with it. You know, Jesus, especially as a man, what does it look like for you to be the lover of my soul? Wow, because that's, that's awkward language when you're talking about Jesus, the God-man, and Jake, the son. How, how do I, you know, it's easier on females but, 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 because that, 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 the gender, you know, roles, right? But guess what? We're all the bride. We're all the bride. So what I want to talk to you about today, that long intro was, I want to lay a foundation, just like we laid a few weeks ago, a foundation for who we are as kings under the king of kings, I want to lay a foundation for those of us that may be unfamiliar with our identity as the bride of Christ, whether you be male or female, okay? Because see, here's, here's the thing. I, I think it was uh, Brian Simmons, the, the, the one who's been translating the Passion Translation. The Lord spoke something to him, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, and he said, the lovers of God will be the greatest overcomers. Those that are lovesick, that they know him and his bridegroom identity. Because if you've ever met someone who's in love, they're just a little crazy. Like, you know, 
and it's, some of it's infatuation, yes, right? But, but you ever meet someone that's really in love, and it's because you can't speak sense into them. Like, you're like, whoa, slow down. Hey, maybe don't do that. But they're going to go for it anyways. So, so where sometimes our love is misplaced, and that can be a, a painful, harmful thing, when it's for the Lord, it creates this radical intoxication that just, it empowers you to follow him wherever he may call you. Whatever he may ask of you. Sometimes it's easy stuff he asks of you. And sometimes it's going to be the hardest thing that you've ever had to do. But I'll tell you what, if you're just doing it out of obedience, I, I'd, be, I'd argue that you could get the job done. But it's a lot easier if you're in love with him and you say, hey, I want more of him. I want more intimacy. So I'm going to do this, Lord, because you're asking me to do that. And you're going to reveal a deeper measure of your nature through this act of obedience. Right? So, so let's lay a foundation. Let's lay, let's lay a foundation here. So in Galatians 3.28, we're told that there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Okay? Um, we find that uh, uh, in Ephesians 5, verse 31 uh, through 32. Well, hold on. Yeah, so actually, I'm going to dial it back a little bit. In Ephesians 5, it's, it's this famous passage about marriage, right? And so it's talking about these roles uh, of what a man is supposed to do as the head of the household and the wife, right, submitting to the husband. But I've I got to ask this question, especially to the men, right? Okay, and I'm, I'm just going to read it real quick to us. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of, church, uh, head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be uh, to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So I have that underlined, and I, I want to point something out. We are all the church. We are all the body. Those of us that are female, those of us that are male. Males, a question I want to ponder and ask you is, how can we as husbands, those of us that are married, lead our wives well if we have not first been led by the Lord as a bride? How can I know how to be a husband, a bridegroom to my spouse if I'm not the bride to the bridegroom. Man, I've heard that verse just beat up women my whole life in the most ridiculous ways. But then you got to ask that question. Do you know how to be led as the bride so that you might lead your own family, right? So the last thing I might say in this intro is that um, while I'm going to give you some good teaching this morning, I'm going to share the word with you, some things to feast on. Our bridal identity is not something that can just be taught. It's actually something that only the Holy Spirit can give the full revelation of it. It's one thing to hear something. It's another thing for it to be 
a heart reality. I had to hear that I was a son of God for a long time before it really ever registered in my heart. I live out of sonship now, but it took a while. I heard about bridal intimacy, but it took a while for, for the Lord to help reveal it in a deeper way to me, especially as a man, especially as a man. I'm gonna keep putting an emphasis on that uh, because I, I feel like a lot of men shy away from this subject because of the awkwardness of it, right? But, alas, let's move. Um, uh, so, so, you know, and just to, just to maybe back that up a little bit more, a little bit more is, uh, you know, in Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 3, verse 5, um, the, the, the Shulamite, the, the bride, she's saying, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Right? Um, it goes on um, in another verse, Ezekiel 16, 8. It's the Lord speaking to Israel, and he said, Then I passed by you again. And looked on you, and behold, you were maturing and at the time for love. And I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, says the Lord God, and you became mine. See, bridal intimacy is not always the first thing the Lord's going to show you. And that's okay. You know, our, our, our relationships, romantic relationships, they start out as friendships most of the time. Then, then that bonding begins to develop and, and now, hey, there's something here. And at some point you become boyfriend and girlfriend, then at some point you become engaged, and then at some point you become married. And then when you're married, you got your new, you know, you know, you know how it is. You got your, your, your newlywed stage and then that matures and then you're 10 years down the road, you're 20 years down the road and you're like, good Lord, Wow, look at this history. Like, like we didn't even know what we were walking into all this time ago. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're coming up on our five year in 2024. So again, for those of you that have been married a lot longer, you're probably laughing at me. I get it. But, but, but there's, there are these stages of appreciation in our relationship. Each one has a unique, beautiful thing about it. There's the butterflies of the beginning, right? But, 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 but in each stage... There's a new measure of beauty to be found, uh, uh, not only between each other, but with the Lord, right? So there's, there's beauty in Jesus as my brother. There's beauty in Jesus as my Lord and King. There's beauty in, 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 in Jesus as the warrior of all these things. And the, but there's beauty in Jesus, my lover. Jesus, my bridegroom. Jesus, the one that I'll be in union with forever. He's held nothing back of himself. He's made himself fully available. And now he's longing for a bride who's made herself ready and has made herself fully available to him in the same way. Right, I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself, so let me continue. So, um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait. Wait on that. All right, so there's three examples I want to look at. When, so when we're talking about laying a foundation of who we are as a bride, you know, we've looked at some of those verses. But now I want to talk to you about what, what does the heart of a bride look like to the one 
um, that is worthy of all things. Let me, let me ask a question. I didn't actually plan to put this in, but I, again, I'm going to ask another question for us to chew on. Okay, so for the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they're not stupid. We would all agree on that, right? Like, they know what they're doing on a level that we could never possibly dream of. They have intentionality behind every action that they have ever performed in all of existence. So, you know, I hear, and it's okay to just say stuff like this when you're a young believer, like, oh, Lord, <laughs> lowly is me, I'm a worm, why would you choose me? But see, as we mature, we actually begin to get a revelation of the incentive they had in redeeming us, okay? Because they created us with intentionality. And they want to show us what that intentionality was, right? So, so for the Father, Jesus selflessly gave his life because he said, you know what, Father, you so delight in me and you so delight in our spirit. If I go and if I die, now you'll have many children. And he selflessly gave himself. And, and the Holy Spirit said, oh, Father, oh, Son, I'm going to turn Jesus. I, I, we're we're going to do this together. I'm going to turn him into a man because the fellowship that we share with each other, we, we want to bring many into this. We want to bring many more into this that we might share this. But for the Father, the Father said, my son, he looked, he looked at his son just like he looked at Adam. And he said, hmm, my son needs something else. And he saw that his son needed a bride. And just like he looked at Adam and he said everything was good, but then he looks and he says, it's not good that man should be alone. That was an echo of what was in his heart. It's not good that we should be alone. And so the, the, the father, it was equally as hard for him to give the son, but he did it because he knew that in going, the son would obtain a bride. Right, so now, now another question. <laughs> if Jesus is worthy of all things, he has no beginning and no end, and his gift is the nations and the people of the nations, who is this bride that he's so, he's so, whoa, he's so lovesick for this bride that he, he went through, like, the most humiliating death. Dude, spit on by his own people. His flesh ripped open. Mocked the God of the universe. Why did he endure this? He endured it for his father. He endured it so that Holy Spirit would have more to come into union. But he endured it because he saw his bride. And he says, whoo, whoa. She's worth it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So for those of us that don't recognize who we are in that capacity, it's time to let the Lord start pulling false identity off of us. It's not enough to be a lowly worm anymore. You can start there, it's okay, it's humility. But, but humility, the path of humility, will lead you to the truth of who you are to Christ, to who you are to the Father, to who you are to the Holy Spirit. Man, 
I just, you want to change the world, love your neighbor as you what? Love yourself and what comes before that commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. When you give him the little that you have, then, then that love starts pouring back into you and he starts to show you who you really are. And, and then it actually moves you into selflessness because you are so wrapped in his love. You know his heart for you that you kind of don't need that much. And now you have a, an abundance of overflowing love to give to a world that is starving of it. But let me tell you, man, if you don't have the bridal identity, you're going to do it out of obligation. You're not going to do it out of heart motivation. Obligation will take you so far, but love will take you the distance. And for what is about to come to the earth, the deep darkness that is being revealed, okay? I'm telling you, there's going to be many that fall away, but it's going to be the lovers that shine bright. The prophecies that talk about the righteousness of God, the glory of God shining amongst the people. This is not in my notes. Those people that will shine in the midst of the time of deepest trouble and darkness will be the lovers, I guarantee it. They'll be the ones that they have been so wrapped in the life of the one that they love that their own little life means nothing. And, 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 and they'll echo what Paul echoed. To live is Christ and to die is gain. So, okay, Paul knew he was going to die in Rome. Everyone was prophesying to him, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to die. Don't go to Jerusalem. But he said, look, you guys are right. I'm probably going to die. But what you don't know is that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he's leading me there. And if that's his will, then that's his will. And I'm okay with that. Because I'm going to experience a, a new measure, a fresh revelation of who he is by being radically obedient. No matter the circumstances, no matter the consequences, right? So, okay, uh, wow, way off my notes, but we got plenty of time. So I want to look at three different lives within, uh, I think they're actually, yeah, they're all in the Old Testament. I want to look at three different lives, and I want to pull keys from each one of these lives of what the bridal heart looks like in us and corporately within us, okay? So I want to look first at the life of David. And the reason I want David is because um, it's going to help us men kind of begin to embrace this bridal identity. So David in the Old Testament, look, he did definitely some wicked things, right? Okay, but thank God that God doesn't look at us through our sin, right? He, he literally nailed it to the cross, and now he sees us as we are, okay? So David is this just like awesome warrior. I mean, like when you talk about a man's man, you, you, you look at the life of David. You know, what, what, what was the song sung about David? It said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Just as this warrior. I mean, just the, all the ladies, whoo, you know. Michael, when Saul gave his daughter to Michael, she was excited because David was the dude. He was a man's man. But how is he remembered to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit? How is he recorded? Is it David, the mightiest warrior in all the Bible? No, it's David, a man after God's own heart. See, above 
who David was as a prophet, above who David was as a king, above who David was as a warrior. He had an identity that was greater than all those things, and it was that he was a man after God's own heart. Okay, so, so how... There wasn't another king in all of Israel's history that was like David. I mean, David gets a prophetic promise that through his line... Right, the root of Jesse that the Messiah will be born. D- Jesus is going to be seated on the throne of David for all the ages to come, forever and ever. What an honor, dude. Whew. And it's because he was a man after God's own heart. So let's look at some keys that were in David's life that, that made the God of the universe say he was a man after my own heart. Well, um, You know, and, and uh, for reference, if you want to know those verses where it says that, it's 1 Samuel 13, 14, and uh, Acts 13, 22. They both use that phrase, God, David was a man after God's own heart. So David often was found praying, and you see it in his Psalms from when he's a young boy in the field, and you see it in his Psalms when he's an old man, even when he had made mistakes. You, uh, you, you, you see that he asked the Lord to create within him a pure heart, a clean heart, right? So I want to read those. Uh, this is Psalms 139, 23, and 24 in the Amplified Classic. Search me thoroughly, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any wicked or hurtful way in me. And lead me into the way everlasting. Uh, Psalms 26, 2 through 3, Amplified Classic. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Test my heart and my mind, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth faithfully. So that's one key, is that David is constantly living in this reality of knowing, hey, it's so easy for me to go wayward. So God, I'm just coming to you heart check. (laughs) Examine my heart, examine my thoughts. Have I gone astray? Will you help me back to the path that I might remain pure? That you might give me a clean heart, pure hands, uh, pure heart, clean hands, you know what I mean. Okay, so the other, the other key that's within David's life is, is that he understood that it was the Father's will that was leading him, not his own. He, so he had the prophetic promise that he would become king. And at multiple times, he could have killed Saul. And he could have, by means of the flesh, killed Saul and taken what God had promised him. But he said, no, touch not the Lord's anointed. Because, see, he knew he wasn't supposed to kill Saul. And he waited for the appointed time. Saul died by, by his own decisions. And God established David. Right, And so you find that in, in Psalms 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk and live in your truth. Direct and unite my heart solely and reverently to fear and honor your name. Psalms 25, 4 through 5. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and faithfulness and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you do I wait expectantly all day. You know, and so you see this constantly in David's life. Like, he's like, God, should I go up and go to battle against these individuals? He'd put on the linen ephod, and he'd inquire of the Lord if he didn't have a prophet, if he didn't have another priest, right? 
and, 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 and he, and he said, God, should I go to battle? God, should I go this? And he's constantly seeking the counsel of the Lord that he may walk in the will of the Father. Okay, so those are two keys that I want to pull out of David's life. There's more I could say, but I think for the sake of time, let's continue. So the second, uh, the second individual that I'd like to look at, the, the, the next two are going to be female. But I want to look at the life of Queen Esther. And I, um, you know, there's all these books that at surface value, when you look at these books in the scripture, you're just like, why are they there? Like Song of Solomon, you know, at surface level, you're like, that's kind of weird, okay. Esther is one of those books uh, that some people are like, that's, okay, that's weird. But there's so many, there's, it's, they're, they're books that prophetically speak to the intimate side of, of the heart of our bridegroom and our heart, if we'll let the Lord cultivate it within us as the bride. So, so what's interesting about Queen Esther is uh, a point that I missed to make about David is that David actually, you know, David's just a shepherd boy. Who was he to be made a king? And in fact, um, in fact, in Psalms 51.5, it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So it's most likely that David, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping back to David for just half a second. David, like the reason his father, when Samuel the prophet came to Jesse, David's father, and said, Show me all your sons. God's looking for a new king. David was left in the field. And it's most likely that he was left in the field because Jesse had had an affair on his wife and David was a half-son. And so there was shame associated where Jesse said, you know, and, and David wrote the psalm. He said, I was born in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. But God didn't choose the ones that looked like they should have been chose. They, he chose the odd man out. He chose the one that was scorned even by his earthly father, at least at that season of his life. So now, now we move back to the life of Esther. Here's Esther. We don't know what happened to her parents. They, maybe they died. I don't know. But she's being raised by her uncle. And there again, it's, it's kind of this pauper to prince story. You see, there's these trending themes you start seeing. And so Esther, um, you know, what happened is Artaxerxes, uh, wicked king, historically speaking. Wicked king. But for the sake of the, uh, uh, the element I want to draw out of Esther's life, put the wickedness beside and let, let the king be a prophetic picture of the king. The king of kings, right? So, so uh, uh, Xerxes, his wife, his, his, the queen defiles his name, you know, embarrasses him, won't come out to some... You know, he wants her to come out and dance for all these people. And she's like, I'm not going to do it. And she probably, they, he probably killed her, or he ex exiled her at least. So now he's looking for a new queen. And so he has all of his officials go to each of the provinces uh, that were ruled by the superpower of that day, Persia. And, and they draw from, from all the nations that were conquered by Persia the most beautiful women. Like all the Victoria's Secret models of the world. Come to, the, come to the capital. And they had a process that for a year they would get prepared for one encounter with the king. 
okay? And, uh, 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 you know, I don't want to be crass here, so I'm going to be very, I want to be, keep it PG, but, you know, Xerxes, look, every night he's having a new supermodel come into his bedroom. You can fill in the blanks. So what was it about Esther that made her stand out that she got chosen? It was more than just sexual desire. There was something unique about Esther that made her stand out in what was probably thousands of women, so much so that Xerxes says, I'm going to pick you to be the queen. And so we find, we find what that is um, in, in, in that story. See, um, when, when the women were being prepared and when their time was coming up to go and see Artaxerxes, right, to have that night with him, uh, a great book by Tommy Tenney called One Night with the King. If you've never read it, go find that book, read it. It's a great king. I mean, a, a great book. Uh, but this is what it says in Esther 2, 13. Then in this way, the maiden came to the king. Whatever she desired was given to her to take with her from the harem into the king's palace. So she is given, like, she can wear whatever she wants. She can put whatever jewels on, whatever perfume, whatever she wants to try to go into Xerxes' bedroom and to woo him. But Esther, see, all these other women, what they were doing is they chose what they liked. They chose what they desired. And they came in, and they had their night with the king, and then they were... They were rejected. But Esther does something different. See, uh, Esther, uh, and this is uh, Esther 2, 15. Now, when the turn for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, uh, who had taken her in as his own daughter, had come to go into the king, she required nothing but what Haggai, the king's attendant, the keeper of the women, suggested. And Esther won favor in the sight of all who saw her. See, there were these eunuchs that were in charge of preparing these women over the course of that year to go and see Xerxes. And instead of Esther saying, I'm going to choose what I want, and then hopefully the king will pick me, she went to Haggai, uh, 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 hey you know, the, the servant that probably had raised Xerxes from the time that he was a little boy. See, he knew the preferences of what Xerxes liked. He knew probably the perfumes. He knew the things that he liked to see his queen wearing. And so she went and said, hey, what does he like? Give me everything that he likes. I don't, I'm not going to choose what I want or what I like. I want to choose what he likes. And so, so the, the, the servant there, the eunuch, is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Because, see, the Holy Spirit knows what Jesus likes. And the Father likes the Son. So the more we can become like the Son, the more beautiful we are to Jesus, our bridegroom, and the more attractive and drawn to us the Father is. Because the Father isn't drawn to the flesh. He's drawn to His Son. And the Son is drawn to, to, to the characteristics that only the Holy Spirit can give. The characteristics of His Father, the fruit of God. Right, so let me continue with the story and then I'll, I'll draw the prophetic stuff. You know, so this is what it goes on to say, Esther 2, 17. And the king loved Esther more than all the women and she obtained grace and favor 
in the sight more than all the maidens, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So later on, I don't have this in my notes, but later on, you know, you were not supposed to go into the court unannounced, but Esther goes into the court unannounced, and like, you died if that happened. They would cut your head off. You're dead. But she did it anyways, because she knew she had to save God's people. And, 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 and uh, well, actually, hold on. I've actually got that. There again, <laughs> so Esther, let me, hold on, let me back up. As a teacher, I want to clarify. So Esther, here, she's saying, not my will, but what's the will of the king? Make me beautiful to the king, right? But then there again, now her journey has come to this point where she's got to risk her life. She's got to go into the royal court, like I'm telling you, to save the Jews of that day in Persia. And, and she's like conflicted because she knows that this might be the end of her life. But she's found saying something interesting in, in Esther 4, 16. Go and gather all the Jews that are pre, uh, present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I also, I also and my maids will fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So, so... What happens is that Esther goes in and Xerxes is so loves her. He says, look, darling, you're not hurting my feelings. I'll give you anything up to half my kingdom. So the points I want to pull out of her story is that she didn't seek her own desires. She sought the desires of the king. She didn't seek her own path of ease and comfort. When her path came to a place that she may lose her life, she said, if I perish, I perish, but God, you've brought me here. I've got to do this. And what, what's her reward? Is that she becomes so beautiful to the king, so attractive to the king that he's like literally anything. Up to half my kingdom, I'll give it to you. See, remember a few weeks ago when I told you, when we were talking about who we are as kings under the king of kings, that God is giving us authority to judge the earth one day and that we're beginning to walk in that now. See, that's, it's, it's two sides of the same coin. As the bride, I'm also the queen. And I get to rule with the king. Now, he's supreme, right? But, 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 whew. You know, there, there are, you ever just meet people that just have more of God in their life? They see more godly encounters. Like, you, you, you run into them, you haven't seen them in like a week or two, and they're like, man, let me tell you what God told you about me. What's different about them is that they're, they're, they're headlong after the things of God. Most of the time, if you look at their lives, like day after day, they're, they're just yearning for more of God, but it's, a, it's something that's cultivated over time. They've asked the Lord to help them desire Him. They've asked the Lord to help, help them be disciplined in seeking Him day after day, because a lot of this is boring, dude. I mean, imagine Esther for an entire year having to just like do all these things day over day. It's probably boring. But all that preparation led to an amazing encounter of intimacy that then led to her being established as one with great authority in the land. Daggum, man. And that's a lot of our, our, our lives, right? You know, 
And we have these victory stories. All of us have a victory story of God, what God's done, maybe some of us more than others. But look, it doesn't matter what it looks like up to this point, whether you've had a lot or you've had a little. Let's look forward to becoming beautiful to the king that he might come and release encounters that will mark us, encounters of intimacy that make us so in love with him. Whoo, man, you want to talk about evangelism. You were talking about what y'all did in high school. Y'all were just fresh, man. You, you were filled with the spirit. Petey was telling me about what he and Joel and Chris Maniquez and a couple others would do. They would go to the malls and they'd hand out tracts and they'd pray for people. And I know what that's like. I remember, man, I'm in that quiet place. I told you that eight-month period. And I'm just crying out to God, like, Lord, I just want more of you, more of more of you, and I, I just got wrecked one day. I just got wrecked one day, and I just, man, golly, like I didn't even know what to do for like 30 minutes. I was just laying on the floor, and I'm not, I'm not trying to over-exaggerate anything. Like I just, just the Lord came to me in a unique way that I'd never experienced up to that point, and I was wrecked, man, and I was filled with this desire. I was like, I have to tell someone about Jesus right now. And I got up out of that prayer place and I began to run around my town and I couldn't find anyone, like my little small rural town. And I finally just like ran into like the, 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 the mayor's office and here's like the clerk. And I was like, can I pray for you? <laughs> like, I just, like, I, I was probably way too aggressive, you know? And she's like, honey, I'm a Christian. I was like, I know, that's great. What can I pray with you for? And then I began to run down the street until I found this dude who his parents had died and he inherited this house and he was a drug addict and he was just strung out on his bed with all the windows and all the doors open. And just day after day for several weeks I'd go because I was compelled by love. And, and, and I was having a revelation of how much God loved me and God's no respecter of persons. So if he loves me this much, he loves everyone this much. And so that motivation was so pure that I literally could not contain it, that I had to go and release it. See, there's a place that each one of us can walk in, but it's only if we'll let the Lord come and create within us a heart of, uh, of sensitivity to the Spirit. And as we respond to the Spirit, He will plant the fruit of the Father within us that makes us so attractive to our King. And you will begin to encounter profound moments with the Lord. They, they, may not, they may not happen all the time, but they will come. You know, so, okay, time, 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 time. All right. So the last individual I want to look at is, uh, is in the Song of Song. And listen, the Song of Solomon, it can be applied as a marriage book. It's great in that way. Surface level, you can get good marriage tips, Right? about the bedroom and whatever else. But there's something so much deeper and rich in the Song of Solomon. It's a prophetic book. It's prophetic imagery of who we are as the bride and who Jesus is as the bridegroom. And if you've never seen it through that lens, just ask the Lord to start unfolding it. And you'll go start reading that book. I mean, I'm telling you, dude, like, you will wait for hours when the Lord comes on it and, and begins to reveal it. So, uh, 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 chronologically speaking, that story is like 
contextually, it's really hard to understand. I've read tons of commentaries on it, but there's an element, there's something I want to draw out of the story. So in, in, uh, this is not in canonized scripture, but in rabbinical teaching, like rabbis teaching about the Song of Songs, there is a word of mouth thing that has been passed down from generation to generation. And it's actually that Solomon, you know, Solomon was like one of the wisest people to ever to walk the earth outside of Jesus, right? Uh, probably the most wealthy individual to ever walk the earth outside of, again, Jesus. And so what do you do when you have all that wealth? You have all this power, like life can get boring. So he starts testing everything. And so in, in these rabbinical teachings, it said that for a season, Solomon actually went out into the hill country of Ephraim and he disguised himself as a shepherd so that he could encounter like day-to-day life without being the king. You know, I have some wealthy friends and it's so hard for them to find genuine friends because everyone just wants their wealth or everyone can't see them for who they are as a person. They just see how rich they are or whatever they're incredibly gifted at that gain them that wealth. You know, they can't, people can't see beyond that so it's hard to get real relationships. So Solomon's in the same place. So he disguises himself as a shepherd. And in this season, he falls in love with a shepherdess, the Shulamite. And she falls in love with him, not because she knows he's King Solomon, but she falls in love with him for his heart. I want to pause right there. There are so many people that prostitute the gospel. And I intentionally use that word. They prostitute the gospel for their own desires, for their own ambitions. And they want Jesus, not for who he is, but for what he can give. But those that will be his bride will not be those who seek his hands, but seek his heart. Right? So the Shulamite, they fall in love, and it's this beautiful poetic dance back and forth. And, and, and at first she, she's like, oh, you don't love me. <laughs> Look, I, I've, I've had to be in the fields. My skin is dark. I've had to work. There's nothing lovely about me. I'm not beautiful. Why do you want me? And he says, no, 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 no. He says, here's what I see. My beloved, my sister, my bride. And he begins to speak over her how much he loves her, what he sees. And see, that begins to transform her, right? Because in chapter 2, here's what she's saying. She says, don't stare at me because I'm dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me take care of the vineyards. My, uh, my own vineyard I had to neglect. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flock of your friends? Like, who am I to be with you? You're just this amazing individual, right? But, but now by chapter 3, something has transformed. I got you, I got you. Something's changed by, by chapter 3 that... that, that she starts the chapter out with this. I'm, I'm, give me like 10, 10, 12 more minutes, okay? I'm going a little past my time frame, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll draw it to a close. So, so by chapter 3, uh, sorry, by chapter 
two, so that was chapter one, what I just read, Song of Songs one, six and seven. By chapter two, something shifted in her heart. She says, I am truly his rose, the very theme of his song. I am overshadowed by his love, like a lily growing in the valley. I know my lover is mine, and I have everything in you, for we delight ourselves in each other. So that Song of Songs uh, 2, verse 1, and then a separate verse 16 in the Passion Translation. So something's changed. Now she's beginning to have an awareness of who she is to him, and she can't identify as, oh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy, I'm, not, I'm ugly, you know, whatever. No, he's, his love is actually beginning to, to strip her of that false identity, and she's beginning to see who she, was, who she really is to him. She's beginning to find out how much she's loved by him. And it's beginning to inwardly change her, right? And then what we see is that by the fourth chapter, here's, um, this is the NIV, Song of Songs 4, 9 through 10. This is what the bridegroom says to the Shulamite, right? He says, you have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace, How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride, for much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. So so, so now, not only is she walking in bridal identity, but it it is so infatuating to the one she loves that he's just speaking out these things. Is Jesus looking at our life? Can he smell the aroma of the Father on you? Can he smell the aroma of the Holy Spirit within you? I'm telling you, you get a lot more done when you walk in intimacy. You can do protocol. You can go through the courts. You can petition the Lord. But when you are white hot with love for him, it has a way of bypassing certain protocols. Do you know? Look, man, I'm just adding all this stuff that wasn't in my notes. David was of the line of Judah. To be a king in Judah, you had to be of the line of Judah. To be a priest, you had to be a Levite. And there are kings in the Bible that did things that priests were supposed to do, and God punished them for it. Saul offered a sacrifice And that's what was the final straw for the Lord. He's like, I'm done with you. And I'm going to take it from you and I'm going to give it to another. Hezekiah, who's a godly king, he was a good king, tries to offer incense before the Lord and all the priests are like, don't do it, Hezekiah. And then he does it. And the Lord's like, why'd you do that? And Hezekiah had consequences for that. But David, David could put on the ephod. He could inquire of the Lord. He ate the showbread which you were not supposed to eat if you weren't a priest. It's arguable that he even offered sacrifices when they were moving the tabernacle. (laughs) So why did David get away with things that these other kings couldn't? Because he knew what it was to walk in intimacy. If you want to see a prophetic picture of what's to come, See, in Revelation 4, it says that a door, he's speaking to John. John was already in the spirit, and he says, a door opened up. And he said, John, come up here that I may show you things to come, that I might sit with you and sup with you and you with me. But you see see here, you see in Song of Solomon, 
you see that uh, in verse chapter 5, verse 2, he said, the bride said, I was asleep, but my heart was awake. A voice, my beloved, was knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is drenched with dew and my locks with the damp of night. If you want to walk in the power of God, if you want to have encounters with the Holy Spirit that will mark and transform your life and transform those around you, dude, just slow down and open the door to him. If you want to be prepared for the days ahead, you're not going to get it from watching the news. You're only going to get it from the Lord. He's the only one that knows. And it's through intimacy that we will find ourselves prepared in all circumstances. All right, so drawing this to a close. Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Uh, in, in the future, should the Lord permit me, I want to talk about the, 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 the lovesick longing that the Holy Spirit will cultivate within you if you will let him. It's, it's another word for another day. But, but, but see, there's this place in conclusion that we can show up together and we can worship the Lord because like, hey, that's a good thing especially those of us that have been raised in church, like that's the right thing to do. We're obligated to do that. But then there's a place where we are white hot in love with the Lord. That it just comes, it's just bubbling out of us. If you want to be the greatest warrior... If you want to love with everything that God created you, if you want to have a capacity to, to, to love the hardest of hearts, dude, let me tell y'all something. Like, there, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to kill anyone that stands against him. Like, just, it's the scripture, dude. But he's not going to do that until he has overextended himself with so much mercy to those people. Like, <laughs> some of the most wicked people that have ever lived on the earth are walking today. But guys, it's not hatred that's gonna change them. Like, you know, if they die and they go to hell, then so be it. But let us not be ones that haven't at least loved in the way that he loved us when we were his enemies. And if, if we'll ask the Lord to come and show us this identity, you will be filled with a love that can overcome the worst atrocities. Do you want to be a virgin that has no oil when the bridegroom comes in the night or do you want to be one who's prepared and ready? we got to ask ourselves that, like, we really have to ask ourselves that intentionally. 
because we can find desire in our Netflix shows. We can find desire in our business. Look, we can find desire in all these things. I'm not, I'm not saying those things are bad, but if, if they're dominating our thought process, are we really walking in the deepest measure of intimacy that's available? I am saying this to myself as much as I'm saying it to you. I promise you. But see, the path that the Lord wants to invite us in, it is a very narrow path, but it is very much worth it. So if we want to be a victorious bride this year, if we want to overcome, if we want to eat the good of the land and walk in the abundance of life that is available to us, are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing? Man, dude, I have like totally gone so far off of it, but this is what the Spirit is speaking. Okay. Do we want to pay the price? And that's not a question I can answer for you. But it's a question I can ask myself. And it's a question that I can ask each of you. And I can tell you that as a leader in this house, that Joel shares that heart. I share that heart. So let's become lovers together. Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place, Carolwood. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.